Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Great. Good morning. morning. It's good to see you. It's good to... um, Do you want your Bible back here? He didn't read it just now. There you go. It's great to, uh, to be here and uh, to, to see you all and uh, can't believe we've driven away from Frinton on a sunny day like today, um, but that's what we've done, but it's, it's great to, to see you and, uh, and I'm here with the kids and as Ian said, Liz would have loved to have come but um, she was unwell during the night so we've sealed the room and, uh, and left her there, and uh, I think she's going to appreciate um, having some rest. But um, I've got a history uh, with this church, as many of you know. Um, I grew up here um, till the age of 18, and uh, was, uh, went to Sunday school here. Uh, started going to Sunday school here in a little hut out the back. Do you remember, anyone remember the Rochford Hall, I think it was? Uh, it used to be out the back there, and then later on in classes did Holiday Bible Club. Did Boys Brigade here? I have done the figure of eight in this room. 
time and time again. We used to win awards uh, for that, which was great. And uh, various youth leaders over the years, Cindy and Simon are here, uh, which is great. And, uh, and, and, and been taken on camps and other bits and pieces. On the 25th of September 1994, I was baptised uh, here, uh, which was awesome. And then uh, about a year later, the church sent me away um, on a gap year up to Newcastle, <laughs> the other end of the country. And... Uh, and, <laughs> and I've been off to uni, and then uh, I think some of you know, then uh, started on the staff team down at Rayleigh Baptist, um, and we were there till 2013 uh, when God called us uh, to Frinton. But um, I owe a lot to this church and to this, this congregation, so, uh, so thank you so much. You can only blame yourselves <laughs> uh, for the man you see standing in front of you today. I want us to think about, um, there's a phrase that we're going to think about today and uh, that we're going to sort of pick apart a little bit. And it's, phrase, it's this phrase, it should come up on the screen. It's when something comes with strings attached. You know when you, you hear this phrase, it comes with strings attached. Do we know what that means? Yeah, that there's, there's something going on behind it. I was talking to, to Liz, my wife, this week, and I said, I'm going to talk about strings attached. And she was telling me that when she was probably about 14 or 15 um, growing up, uh, she, she saw an advert in a, in a magazine for a free book. And uh, Liz used to love reading when she was younger, still does today. And so she sent off for this free book, which she thought was brilliant. Six months later, she finds herself tied into a book club, and they're sending her a book every month, but they're no longer free. And uh, this, bill's, this bill's kind of building up. She said she used to, she used to hide them from her parents, uh, these books that were arriving, and wondered what to do about this bill that was building up. Now, the, the book wasn't free. They were using it to tie you in, to then get you to buy more. And we're used to this, aren't we, in today's society? Things come with strings attached. Things look like they're free, but actually, as we get into them, they tend not to be. It's in the small print that we tend to find those things out. And you know, the Roman culture that Jesus was born into and that he grew up in was very much based on this idea of things having strings attached. The whole Roman culture was built on this idea that I'll help you, but only because I hope one day you're going to help me. I'll help you out, I'll do something for you, but only if I get something in return. Now, this is the culture that Jesus grew up in. The Roman, in, in Latin, they use this phrase, didn't they? Quid pro quo. You might have heard that. And that's what that means. It means giving in order to receive. You know, there's some sort of trade-off. You're hoping there's going to be some compensation down the line. I'll scratch your back, you know, if you scratch mine. It's interesting, in fact, even, even the word, the, the Roman culture in Latin that they used for generosity came with strings attached. You know, the Roman word, the Latin word for generosity is this word here, liberalitas, liberalitas. And that word, literally, if you translate that, it means just to give freely. It means to give freely. But even that concept came with strings attached. See, the Roman emperor used to print this word. On one side of his coins, he would have his face. And on the other side, I don't know if he could quite read it there, but they used to have this word liberalitas printed on their coins. And this idea that you would give them money freely. But 
Once a year, the emperor would come out and stand out on the street on a stage and the crowds would come and he would throw his coins out to the crowd and would go, liberalitas, look, I'm giving freely. And you can imagine that, all the crowds coming and kind of trying to grab the coins. But in that, the emperor was actually saying to them, look, I'm giving freely because actually I want your loyalty in return. Look, I'm going to give you some money But one day I hope you'll give me your money when I tax you and when I go to war. I'm going to give freely, but I want you to support me. I want you to be on my side. In essence, I'm giving to my people because I want you to love me. I want your support and your loyalty, your allegiance and your devotion in the future. And this notion of kind of like a false generosity, of giving order to receive, of generosity with strings attached, kind of seeped its way through all of Roman culture. So, you know, you would invite somebody over to your house. (laughs) You would never do this. But because you wanted to get an invite back later on. You'd start doing business with someone because actually you thought, they're going to give me some of their business back. You'd invite someone to preach at your church because you'd hope that you'd get an invite back. <laughs> we'd never do that. We'd never do that. <laughs> you give in order to receive. You give in order to receive. And it's this culture, as I say, that Jesus was born into, that he grew up in, that he ministered to that he spoke into this culture. And when he stood up and spoke, Jesus would say things like this. Love your enemies, do good and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Can you see how outrageous a statement that is from Jesus? You see how shocking that would have been in a culture where you only did things for people, where you only gave to people, where you were only really friends with people because you thought you might get something back. That Jesus stands up and says, do good to people. And listen, don't expect to get anything back. It's massively countercultural. And the thing I want us to think about today and the big message, if you forget everything else uh, that we look at this morning, the big message I want you to remember is that Jesus' style of generosity has no strings attached. He says, be generous, give to people, get alongside, do good to people. And there's no strings attached. There's nothing that you're going to expect in return. There's no small print. You're not going to get stung at the end of it. Listen, do it without expecting anything in return. Generosity with no strings attached. And to drive this message home, to to hammer it home, Jesus tells this story that Norbert read to us, this story of the Good Samaritan. And if you've got your Bibles open, we're just going to have a look at it uh, together quickly. It's in Luke uh, chapter 10. And if you look at the story, it's fascinating because Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan in answer to a question, doesn't he? He's asked a question by a man and then he tells this story in response 
But what's the question that he's answering? It says this in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, isn't that an interesting question? In light of what we've just thought about, isn't that an interesting question that this expert in the law was asking? What have I got to do to get something in return? (laughs) See, the expert in the law was part of this culture. He grew up in this culture where there are strings attached, where you don't get something for nothing. And so he says, listen, Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? Because it can't possibly be free. It can't come for nothing. What have I got to do? And then he goes on and he says, look, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And then he goes on and he says, well, who is my neighbour? He says, look, well, if I'm going to have to do something, you know, then who, who is it? Who is it that I've got to do? Tell me specifically who it is. And then Jesus goes on and he tells this story of the Good Samaritan. And we won't go through it line by line again because we we probably haven't got time. But it's a story of shocks, isn't it? There are shocks in this story. Now, the first big shock is that the Samaritan's the hero. This guy who would have been despised by the Jews, this guy who would have been hated by them, is suddenly the hero of our story. You know, the Jews used to pray to God. And one of the prayers they would pray is, thank God I'm a Jew and I'm not a Samaritan. (laughs) That's how much they hated them. There was an animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. A few years before Jesus told this story, the Samaritans had come down to the temple, the holiest of places, and they'd desecrated it. They'd got human bones, dug them up out of the ground, they'd thrown them all around the temple to kind of desecrate it so it couldn't be used for worship anymore. They were hated. There was animosity. So it's shocking that this guy is the hero. A Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, two denarii, it says in some of our Bibles, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Shocking. This guy who was, who was at war, who was, who was despised and hated by the Jews, is the hero of our story. But the second shock that we see in this story is that the Samaritan is a generous man. That the Samaritan gives and gives and gives with no strings attached with no other agenda. He doesn't expect anything in return. Right, what I want you to do, just with, that, with your Bibles open, is just turn to the person next to you and, and just have a look at that story. How, how does the Samaritan show generosity? I don't know if you're used to doing this here. I'm going to get you doing some work. <laughs> how does he show generosity? In which ways is the Samaritan generous? to the man who's been attacked. Have a look. You can make some noise.
Okay, it's not a great deal of time, but um, enough to get your, your brains working. Just shout some of the things out. How, how's he generous? He bandaged his wounds, absolutely. He bandaged his wounds. It's interesting, he probably wouldn't have had any bandages with him. So what might he have used? His own clothes. Yeah, he might have taken off his cloak, he might have ripped it up, used it. So he's, he's, he's bandaging this guy's wounds, but he's kind of, there's a cost involved as well, isn't there, with, with what he's using as the bandages. What else? He interrupted his own agenda, absolutely. Yeah, he's, you know, this, this road, this Jericho road would have been used for business and that people would have gone up and down it all the time. So he's probably, you know, there to do some business and do some other bits. He stops. You know, he gives him time, doesn't he? Time, the most precious thing that any of us have got. You can't, you can't make any more time, can you? You can make everything else. You can't make any more time. Once it's gone, it's gone. And he uses that. Yeah, great. Anything else? Oil and wine, yeah, oil and wine, something there. It would have cost him. Interestingly enough, you know, the oil and wine that he uses here to, to dress the wounds and to, to, put, to put on the wounds, uh, oil and wine would have both been used in the temple by the priest and the Levite. We would normally expect to see the priest and the Levite using the oil and wine for their, for their religious activities as worship to God. And yet we find the Samaritan using these objects, another form of worship. It's fascinating uh, that he uses the oil and wine. Yeah, good. Anything else? His own donkey, which means he had to walk. Absolutely, absolutely. He gives up his mode of transport and allows this guy to use it. Probably goes out of his way, you know, to find the inn. Goes goes off the beaten track a little bit. And what's the most obvious thing? Money. Money, yeah, money, two denarii, about two days' wages, uh, they reckon, that that would have been. He, he gives. And then what does he say? And I'll give extra. Doesn't say up to ten denarii or, you know, seven denarii. The innkeeper here could have been, could have thought, oh, here's some strings attached here, you know, kind of, oh, yeah, oh, by the way, it's now a hundred denarii or whatever. But he says, I'll give whatever. Whatever, he says, doesn't he? It costs, whatever the difference is. Generosity without borders, without kind of saying, this is as much as I'm going to give. He just is prepared to give and give and give. And he knows that the man is in no position to give back to him. He knows that actually if he's going to be generous in this situation... It's generosity with no strings attached. This guy's beaten up, might have died. He knows this guy is never going to give back to him. First shock, it's the Samaritan, he's the hero. Second shock is that he's generous with no strings attached. Third shock is how Jesus finishes the story. What does it say there in verse 37? The last four words. Go and do Likewise. What? <laughs> Go and do likewise. That's shocking. <laughs> That's shocking. Because if you and I are going to go and do likewise, it's going to mean generosity without strings 
attached. Jesus' generosity has no strings attached. And in those four words, saying, go and do likewise, he's saying that yours and my generosity has to come with no strings attached. That's simply what he's saying. We can't have a hidden agenda. We can't expect to be repaid. We can't expect to get back what we've spent. He says, actually, if you're going to go and do likewise, that's what it means. Generosity with no strings attached. You know, the early church picked up on this challenge. (laughs) Yeah, that's often how we do it, isn't it? (laughs) We expect something in return. Now, the early church picked up on this challenge of Jesus saying, go and do likewise, to be generous without expecting anything in return. Now, the early church, they didn't have much, but what they had, the little they had, they were generous with it. They gave it away. It wasn't about what the early church had, but it's what they did with what they had that made a difference. And it was this style of living, it was this style of being church that people saw and they experienced it and they were drawn to it. You know, um, I, I don't remember much about my time at Bible college, apart from it was very busy. And uh, there's lots of stuff. I don't remember much, but the, the early history stuff of the church used to fascinate me. I'd never really looked at it before. And looking at the early church and the history of it and how it grew. And it's fascinating because historians are kind of puzzled when they look at the early church. They're, they're puzzled about not only how it survived, but how it thrived as well, how it grew so quickly. You see, when, they, when historians look at movements across history that have grown and spread and had an impact on an area, they tend to have a military behind them. <laughs> you know, and they kind of go into an area and take it and they seize it. Or they've got lots of money behind them. Or they've got some political clout. Or they're well organised. And when, when the historians look at the early church, they, they've got none of those things. Now, they, the early church didn't have an army. They didn't have money. They didn't have political clout. In fact, it was quite the opposite. For the first 300 years of church history, they were faced opposition. They were persecuted. They were killed. They were powerless. Yet, the church grew. <laughs> and historians come and go, well, why? What was it? You know, those of us who read our Bibles, we can point to the start of the book of Acts. We can point to Pentecost and the Holy Spirit um, falling on them. But there's other reasons as well. Yeah, the Holy Spirit was there and filled them and, and sent them out. But historians look and they say, do you know what? That early church, they lived such distinct lives. They lived radical lives. They lived generous lives. And historians actually give that as one of the reasons for the early church growing. They say it's their generosity that helped them to grow. They just loved and they loved and they loved and they loved. And so people wanted to be a part of them and people wanted to know who they were. And when they were opposed, they loved. And when they were pushed down, they loved. And when they were killed, they kept loving people back. They loved, they loved, they loved. They were generous with no strings attached. You know, in those first 300 years, 
um, of, of the church's life. The Roman Empire was at its height, was at its peak. And, and during that time, the Roman Empire had, had a few plagues that came and, and, used, and used to wipe out huge numbers of people. Like Rome at one time had a plague that, that was killing you know, thousands of people. And it was, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Christians, it's the early church's response to these plagues, which is fascinating. You know, at one time... Um, there, was a, there was this plague that was killing 5,000 people a day in Rome. And all the Romans decided to pack up and leave. They were fleeing. They were running away from this plague, not wanting to catch it. And history records that the church at that time, rather than running away, ran towards Rome. It's fascinating. Ran towards it so they could make a difference. Let me read you something. Um, that one historian writes about the church at this time. He said, Instead of fear and despondency, the earliest Christians expended themselves in works of mercy that simply um, dumbfounded the pagans. For them, God loved humanity. In order to love God back, one was to love others. God God did not demand ritual sacrifices. He wanted his love expressed on earth in deeds of compassion. And this love took on very practical, concrete forms. So this is what the church did during this plague. They buried those who couldn't afford burials. They supplied food for up to 3,000 people on a daily basis. Not fleeing the plague, but getting close to it. They would wash the sick. They would console the dying. The emperor tried to copy what the Christians were doing, but he couldn't find anyone to do the job, even for money. Christians doing it not for money, but for love. The first Christians not only took care of their own, but also reached out far beyond themselves. Their faith led to a pandemic of love. Consequently, at the risk of their own lives, they saved an immense number of lives. I love that picture. of When there's this plague going on, when everybody else is running away from the danger, the Christian church were running towards it. When everybody else is running away, Christians are coming and they're washing people. And they're consoling them and praying for them. I love this picture of the early church causing a pandemic of love. A generosity with no strings attached. You know, they weren't, they weren't burying people and then giving them a bill. They were doing it for free. They weren't washing people's bodies and saying, hey, we expect this in return one day. They were just doing it with no strings attached. Now, generosity changed the world once. What if it happened again? What if Jesus' church stood up and said, we're going to be the most generous people on the face of the earth? What if Billericay Baptist Church stood up and said, we're going to be known as the most generous people in our town? When there's a need, we're not going to run away from it. We're going to run towards it. Generosity changed the world. What if that happened again? 
You know, the culture we live in today isn't a million miles from Roman culture, is it? You know, people do give. You know, people do give. But we often expect or want something in return, don't we? Oh, that picture earlier, you know, of the guy kind of feeding the poor but taking a selfie as he's doing it. You know, I'm going to give, but I want to be known for it. (laughs) I want my profile to go up. I want people to think I've got it. It's how the national lottery works, isn't it? You know, the biggest way that people give to charity these days in our country is through the national lottery. But why do they do it? Because they think they might get something more (laughs) in return. It's actually, I could win. It could be me. That's a huge opportunity, therefore, for Jesus' church in the culture that we live in. To live radical lives, to live generous lives, to give and give and give and give without expecting anything in return. It's so exciting you know, next weekend that you guys are going to be getting together, 200 of you, it's incredible, 200 getting together to, to pray, to listen to God, to say, God, what's your plans for us for the next year, for the next five years, for the next 10 years? God, what is it that you've got planned for us? And whatever it is you talk about and whatever it is you think about, I want to encourage you as a church to keep generosity and no strings attached generosity at the heart of anything that you plan for over the next few years generosity has to be at the heart of any vision from God because God is generous for God so loved the world that he gave God is generous So any vision that God gives his church has to have generosity at the heart of it. You'll know if it's a vision from God or not, if it's pushing you to give. If there's no way, you don't have to give by following next week's week's, um, sermon and, and, and looking at your vision weekend, then it probably isn't from God. If it's causing you to give, not just money, but of yourselves, then it's probably from God can't just be a vision for blessing yourselves or ourselves as a church. A vision from God will always push us to reach out, will always push us to go and look after people in our community. I love that, what it said in that thing that I read earlier, that little bit of history quote, where it said, they risked their own lives, but in doing so, they saved an immense number of lives. (laughs) Wouldn't that be incredible if when they write the history of Billericay Baptist Church, they say, do you know what? They risked everything. They risked everything. Nothing was off hold. Nothing was out of bounds. But in doing so, they saved an immense number of lives for Jesus. A vision that causes you to do good to others, expecting nothing in return. A vision that calls you to, to shocking, sacrificial acts of love. Good Samaritan acts of love. Acts of huge risk. A vision that shapes your church for the future. And it asks you as a church to be generous as a community, but individually as well causing a pandemic of love. 
So just as we, just as we finish, there's just two things that I wanted you to go away and think about um, between now and next weekend as you prepare for your vision weekend. And there's just two questions. And the first question is this. What does this look like for you as a church community? What kind of generosity is Jesus calling you to as a church community? Together, what might he be asking you to do? And what might that generosity look like? When you're you're having some time with God this week, when you're sitting and you're praying, just ask God to paint a picture of the kind of generosity that he wants you to show and what that could mean for your vision. I want to encourage you, you know, to dream big, to think big, to think of unachievable things. You know, next week, as you, as you put pen to paper and you think about your vision, if it looks achievable, then it's just a to-do list, isn't it? If you think, oh, we can do that, it's just a to-do list. If you, if you write stuff down, if you think about things that seem impossible, that seem outrageous, that are causing you to kind of give and give and give in a big way, then that's vision, isn't it? Because there needs to be a God gap, doesn't there? <laughs> Between what you write down and how you're going to do it. And that becomes vision then. What does it look like for you as a church? But also the second question is this. Now Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what kind of generosity is Jesus calling you to as an individual? You've thought about your church community, but what about you individually? And this doesn't, you know, for some of us, we're going to be sitting there going, well, that's fine, Mark, but do you know what? Times are tight. <laughs> I haven't got much to give. You know, we're just about making ends meet each month. But listen, it's not about what you have. It's what you choose to do with what you have that makes the difference. It's what the early church did. They had nothing but it's what they chose to do with the little that they had. Think about your time. Think about your talents. And think about your treasures. How is God asking you to use those? And however old we are, we can all think about that because we've all got some time. How's God asking you, calling you to use your time? Who can you go and see? Who can you go and spend time with? Your talents. We've all got talents. We've all got things that we can use. I heard a story this week about a lad who was, uh, grew up in a church with his family and they were thinking about their talents and he worked out that he was the, la- the boy in the house who could find things. That's what his talent was. And so you know, whenever his parents lost their keys or the remote control for the TV or whatever, they would ask him to go and find it. And he was saying, that's what God's given me. Oh, yes, it's great. I want someone like that in my house. <laughs> so whatever it is we can do if it's finding things, find things if it's playing things, play things if it's getting alongside people think about how you can use your talents and then your treasures as well and that doesn't just have to be money in our bank accounts that can be stuff that we own is God calling you to sell something so you can use the money to give is God asking you to give some of those toys away, some of those games that you've got, some you know, extra phone or whatever it is, so that actually that you can give that. Generosity changed the world once. What if it happened again? What if he used it to turn Billericay upside down? And listen, as we finish now, don't forget, in all of this, 
that when we're called to a generous lifestyle, we're following the most generous man who's ever lived. And when Jesus calls us to live this way, when Jesus says, go and do likewise, it's nothing that he hasn't done himself. Jesus, the original good Samaritan, whose generosity bends down and picks you and I up out of the gutter. (laughs) When we haven't got anything to give, Jesus, the good Samaritan, we're told, came down and picked you and I up out of the ditch who comes into our brokenness when we can't help ourselves. <laughs> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we can't help ourselves, Jesus reached down into our brokenness, put himself at risk, put himself in danger, despite the fact that just as the Israelites despised the Samaritans, despite the fact that we despised Jesus, he stops and takes notice of us. And then in his generosity, what does he do? He pays the bill and says, I'll keep paying, I'll keep paying, I'll keep paying. No matter what the cost, laying down his life for each one of us so that we can be healed, yeah? Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus' generosity comes with no strings attached. And he says, listen, If you want to follow me, if you want to be in my church, go and do likewise. So let's do that as a church. Here in Billericay, down the road, in Frinton, across this area. Let's turn this place upside down with a radical generosity, with no strings attached. Let's have some quiet. I think the band are going to come back. But I want you just to to close your eyes. You know, there's, there's nothing... Holy, there's nothing extra spiritual about closing eyes. It just cuts out the distractions, doesn't it? And we've, we've thought about a lot, but what is it that stood out for you this morning? Is there a word or a phrase or something in the Bible? And maybe it's caused you to feel something or think something. And just, just take those thoughts and those feelings to Jesus now. Just say, Jesus, this is how it makes me feel. This is what it's made me think. Let's just have some quiet. Jesus, we we've all been thinking this morning we've been moved in different ways. Your word has has stirred us this morning. And so we give those thoughts and those feelings to you. We don't just want to ignore what you're doing in us when we look at your word, but we want to respond to what you're doing. And Jesus, we feel this challenge of extreme generosity this this challenge of generosity with no strings attached. And we know that we can't do that on our own. We know that it's it's countercultural. We know that it's not how we've been brought up to think or behave. So Holy Spirit, as as we sing now, as we respond now, would you be doing a work 
in our hearts. Change our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Soften us. Change our minds. Help us to hold on to what we have loosely so we can give and give and give. Amen. Amen. We're going to... um,